In uh, preparation for uh, today's message, we shall be reading from uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. That's Genesis 2, 21 to 25. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Good morning. It's good to see you all. The title of today's message is First Marriage. Marriage is the most sacred of all human relationships. Let me say that again. Marriage is the most sacred of all human relationships. The reason for such is that God instituted it. God was the one who performed the first wedding ceremony, if you allow me to call it that. And without that, there would be no propagation of the human race. Some argue that this is a myth. Some argue that it is not. In some way, if you don't look at it by faith, some would say we can never know. However, because the Lord Jesus validated Genesis, and the apostles, especially Paul, validated that Adam existed, therefore, my faith is anchored in that Jesus believed it, therefore I believe it. Yet, some would say, even if it is a story, embedded in the story are lessons that we cannot forget, eternal lessons that are legendary, that are classics, that never goes old and should never grow old, should never pass, should always be there. But before the creation and before the union, there was an assignment. Before the first wedding, God assigned Adam to work on the garden. Of course, there are arguments with the word Adam because the word Adam in Hebrew means mankind, a more neutral way of saying it, humanity. God assigned Adam to work on the garden which God created, take care of it, and eat from any tree except for one. How significant is this? Very. Because God assigned Adam something to work on. And therefore, we today, in the New Testament time, still believe that men should focus on God's assignment. Not just surviving the earth, not just enjoying one's life on earth, not just living high school for the rest of their lives, but knowing that they have an assignment and they take this assignment seriously. And it was when Adam was doing the assignment that God said it's not good for him to be alone. The perverted way is just unite without God's purpose. And that's what most culture does, including us. It's for the sake of, you feel something, I feel something, why don't we connect? But here, in the divine text, the assignment was important. What he should do and what he should not do. 
Both were important. He could not take of one fruit. He can take anything and take care of everything except do this. The assignment was clear. Now, some men are just alone. They have no assignment. They're alone feeling insecure and they need somebody else without doing any assignment. That is more of the natural man's perspective, not the spiritual man's perspective. The spiritual man's perspective is, what does the Bible say is my assignment? And knowing that assignment, I have to pursue that. And in pursuit of that God-given assignment, that's a time I feel I need help. And it was not good for man to be alone. I hope we got that very clear because this should be a paradigm shift of every true believer. And we should not live the philosophies and cultures of this earth, which is so self-centered. In pre-marriage counseling, I know some of you who do pre-marriage counseling, you've heard this before, why do you want to get married? And the large reason there is what the other person does for them. It's not so much what they can do for the other person, and it's not so much that, that they can be partners in fulfilling something greater. That's usually absent, because that was not taught. Sadly, even in Christian circles, it is not emphasized. It's just, you like one another, the only goal you have is to procreate and fill the earth with your children. Although that is biblical too, but we must understand once you study the Bible, it is not just that. There was an assignment. Then God said it was not good for man to be alone. Therefore, God created the woman, a helper, suitable for the man. Now, let us learn the crucial lessons from the Holy Scriptures. My brothers and sisters, I have preached on this for countless times, yet when I go back and meditate on this, there's something fresh all the time I see in God's Word. And today I hope to deliver both the lessons you've learned before and some fresh lessons which is embedded in the text that somehow the Lord has allowed me to discover recently. It's not something new, it's still based on the study of the intent of the author, which was to tell, to share how it all started. The first thing we observe here, based on the narrative, the first point I'd like to say is companionship, a companion. God created man to take care of his creation. But man was alone. Some would say humanity was alone, mankind was alone. Yet strong belief says that this is a person, but man was alone. Although God created man in his image, he was alone. Now, therefore, God fashioned a woman from the part of man. From the part of man. Now, translations would commonly use the word rib, although if you look at your translations, some have a footnote because there's an argument there that it may not necessarily be a rib. But however, what's clear is God took a part of man a one piece of man, not necessarily the rib. <laughs> Traditionally, it says it's the rib. But it, the more accurate, or at least the safer thing to say, it's part of man was taken. Part of the humanity was taken, that always existed there, was taken. And God fashioned the woman. I like what the translators used. Fashioned. Because woman is shapely compared to man, who's more boring. He fashioned it. The initial suggestion of there's beauty in this. So he fashioned woman. 
Then God brought her to the man. And Adam, when he saw her, immediately knew that this was made for him. Special. Of course, all creation, he can take the fruit and name all the animals. He can take dominion, but this is different. Different. Let's read verses 21 to 23. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one part of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now the response of Adam, verse 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. God created a partner for man and not an enslaved person. Take note. Woman was created not to be a slave of man. She was made to help. But she was there all along because she was made from within man. Enslaved, God took the part of man from his side and many, this is a popular saying, which allow me to say, although this is not necessarily biblical, this is more of uh, implicatory, that she was not taken from the feet so that man can step over her and dominate her, and not from the head so that woman would make man under her, but from the side, a partnership. and underneath. Now, that implies a lot. It means it's side by side. We work on this together. Of course, there are different roles assigned, and the different roles play differently. Yet, the partnership remains. Now, Adam's Response, let's look at that, reflected his emotions and his thoughts. He knew that the woman came from him, and I believe he knew that she is forever part of him, taken out but still knowing part of him, because the response was, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, taken from me. Part of him, but no longer within the body, but now a living entity made by the Creator. A living entity made by the Creator. No wonder he uttered the Creator's work. And I would say this phrase could be for me the most romantic way to say it. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Let me translate that into my modern English. I am you, and you are me, yet we are two. You came from me. I am you, and you are me. I care for you like myself. Because you, me, we are one. And Paul, even Paul the Apostle said, this is a mystery. For him, it's a mystery. And uh, I myself would say, when I get to heaven, I have questions for the Lord and say, reveal the mystery. For it is a mystery. How two are considered one. Theologically speaking, but you will understand mentally and emotionally speaking, quite true as well. If done properly. So, one, it's companionship. But what kind of companionship? It's not an ordinary companionship like we have with friends. It is one being part of me and part of one another. We share a unity from creation, yet separate entities now because of God. So fellowshipping with my wife is fellowshipping with myself. 
And being kind to her is like being kind to me. Being angry at her is like being angry at me. I guess that's just an implication. Now, sacred unity. Let's talk about point number two. It's a sacred unity. God initiated marriage, which makes it sacred. God designed that man shall leave his parents and unite with his wife. However, this unity is not an ordinary joining together. The man and his wife shall become one flesh because they were one flesh. So I like to say this sacred unity is actually a pursuit of that unity Although they can never be literally one flesh, but they are still considered one flesh, we are affirming when we get married, we're affirming what God created, this mystery that God created, that we're no longer two but one. Yet because we are two, it will be a pursuit of that unity. And that unity is no longer automatic. It was automatic when I was, when woman was within man, but when God created the two, it's now a pursuit of that unity until they die. But that unity must happen and can happen. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and creates and unites with his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now, scripture expects man to leave his father and mother to start a family. After which, leaving father and mother, he can fulfill the unity with his wife, with whom he feels great affinity and unity. Great affinity and unity. And not only in the emotional stage, and that's the mistake of our culture today, we rely on emotion and we rely on visuals, and we think we can be united with this person based only on romantic emotions and visuals, and we think, that's going to be okay without considering that you have to be united in mind, emotion, heart, in socials, etc., etc. Without considering everything else. That's why many fail in this matter. Because of the lack of wisdom. Because they follow the culture. It's normal to like a girl and a girl likes you. Blah, blah, blah. Great affinity. Now. God gave Adam a divine sense of belonging to Eve and feeling that Eve belongs to him. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So there is a hindrance to the unity. Let me share to you one hindrance based on the text. If the unity, the bond of the original family is stronger, is stronger still than the new relationship, that's a hindrance. And usually, when this is not that strong, it doesn't mean weaken the bond with the original family. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying weaken the bond here. No, what we're saying is, you strengthen the spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, etc. bond on the other side, greater than this. We didn't say weaken this because that is not biblical. In fact, the respect and honor of parents must remain forever. Yet what we are saying, we're just strengthening this more than this. When it comes to seeking advice, we should seek the advice of parents. Why shouldn't we? Nobody cares for you more. However, it's advice. The ultimate thing is both of you must decide together. And you don't insist on because mommy said, because daddy said. What you can say is, daddy said this and mommy said this. Let's analyze it. Maybe it can help us. Up to there is fine. But final decisions must be you and your wife, your wife and your husband. You have to learn to live like that. Because you're pursuing a unity that's supposed to be greater than the original family. And we have nothing against the original family. Continue bonding with them. But you have to realize there is a leaving. A leaving mentally, emotionally, a leaving financially. Of course, there will be always there to help you. 
if parents have great resources, they cannot help it, we will help you. However, you do not rely on that. You are pursuing something together that can provide for your own family and the future children that you have. Now, don't be overconfident just because you have an emotional bond with somebody. Because sometimes that emotional bond is lost. It comes and goes. Something about the emotion, it is not the will. You can have emotions without the will. Without the will, without the decision to say, by God's grace, I will pursue this unity according to Scripture. That takes will. Because emotions come and go, and usually when the problems of life come, the romanticism goes out the door for a while. How do we solve this becomes the prime agenda. And if your partner is not cooperative in solving the issues of life, that's why we say to young people, learn and listen to others. Because what? What you should learn is what? Not the... Not the jokes, not well, we call it tukso, not the teasing. What you should learn about is this. How were those successful in the unity in their marriage? How did they overcome the difficulties? And those who failed, why? or those who are still there and continuously struggling, what can you learn from it to equip yourself before it to happen? Some say, you don't think about that. You just think if you like one another, just get married. That's one of the most foolish, unbiblical things to say. Where in the book of Proverbs it says, the one who do not foresee the danger and still lacks is a fool. You have to foresee the the good part and the bad part before making that decision. We can choose to be animalistic. What is animalistic? Animalistic is just, they just mate because they're pheromones. Women, uh, the female releases pheromones and the, and the male hunts for the pheromones because they don't think, they just do it. But God gave us intelligence that made us different from the animals. We don't just go with instinct. We can think. If you have no self-control, you're more animal than man, than human. The sacred unity. Why get married? To pursue a unity that is a mystery. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. But some do not pursue this unity. They pursue who's better. And that's terrible in marriage. If you pursue who's better, I'm better than you and, you, and this, and then you compete. Ah, foolish. It should be the other way around. You're so good at these areas. In these areas, I'd like to consult you all the time. The pursuit of the unity, not the pursuit of being right. Not the pursuit of domineering one another. Not the pursuit of pointing out the faults of one another. Not the pursuit of fighting. <laughs> you know the definition of a fight? Some people say it's normal for marriages to fight. Do you understand the definition of fight? Fight is when you cause injury to another and they retaliate. That's a fight. And in biblical marriage, that is not allowed. And then you say, some people say, it's normal to fight. Oh, come on. If you fight, you ask forgiveness from God. Don't treat it as normal. But can there be disagreements? Of course. Now, with a disagreement, you don't have to cause injury to one another. You can seek to understand. You can, 
You can try to influence one another. You can try to reason out with one another, but not to inflict damage to one another. And some damages are not even intentional because of the differences of how the mind works of a man and woman. There is a difference. There are similarities and there are differences, but because there are differences, we try to interpret everything based on how we think. And sometimes the offense is not intentional in any way, yet we must both learn. Yet because you felt pain, you want to take it back at him. Do something to pit him or her. And that's a fight. You want to fight? You want to fight? You want to make it normal? You teach that in this church. I'll look for you. I'll hunt you down. You don't teach that here. Here, if we fight, Lord, help us. Teach us both to be humble. Teach us both to listen well. Teach us both to honor one another. Will there be temptations? Of course there will be. Some say it's impossible. No, I have met two or three people at least in, on this earth who believe that you don't have to. Life is so short. Why fight? Why inflict damage to one another? Why create weapons, emotional weapons to hit one another? Why? Life is so short. When both think that way, that is good. Because both don't want to fight. But if ever somebody is disappointed and frustrated, the other one must have the gentle firmness to allow him a little space or her a little space. Okay, what are you frustrated about? But then must warn, that's why I said gentle firmness, must warn that there are boundaries. We cannot disrespect one another. But we can utter frustration. Because sometimes we are. There must be a unity. Now that's why we believe that a believer must marry a true believer. They should un understand the same things. Because you're pursuing unity. But from the start, you don't have the unity of Scripture. You don't have the unity of God and Christ. You don't have the unity of what salvation is. And you don't have the unity or belief of, of the principles in God's word. Without that, how can you You're starting off with very far. How can you come to the unity? There must be unity. So my advice, if there is no genuine believer for you, you think, you pray God. Send me somebody. If not, it's okay to be like Paul the Apostle, to be blessed in single life and serving you. But Lord, I prefer to marry. Let your will be done. But I pray somebody who fears and loves you. Because that's the point. I think the first point of unity is united with God. If both fear God and love God. You know, fear God is a deep respect, more than respect. It is a a, a marvelous kind of respect that you don't want to sin because of that fear of God. And you don't want to harm your partner because of that love and fear of God, not because of your partner. You see, that's the cultural humanistic way because you love one another, you do this for one another. That's secondary, the primary is what? Because I love and fear God. That's why I love my wife or my husband. The main reason is first the Almighty, the God of the universe, the one bigger than both of us, who with one breath of his word created the universe, one who can alter the course of life, one who can put kings up and put them down, the one who is sovereign. That's why I don't disrespect my spouse. And if ever I do, I seek God's forgiveness because I love and fear him. 
That is the starting point if you both have that. If you don't have that, that's what you have to pray for. At least you have that. And pray that your spouse will someday come to the Lord Jesus Christ. There must be unity. I'll tell you a story about a family, a couple that's not united. The man was a believer, yet he was not wise enough, and he married a non-Christian woman. So he believed in Genesis. His wife did not. So with the child growing up, the child asked the father, Father, how, how are babies made? Well, he said, well, God created man and then woman, and then God put them together in marriage, and then they produce babies. Ah. Oh. Then son goes to mommy. Mommy, humanistic, doesn't believe in Genesis. No, son, that's nonsense what your father said. We came from monkeys. So son goes back to father. Father, did you lie to me? You said that God created man and woman and they had babies. But mom said we came from monkeys. And dad didn't know how to explain. But quickly he thought of a way that the child would understand. Oh son, she was talking about her side of the family. <laughs> See how the difficulty of explaining these things. If you're not even united in philosophy and theology... So when you have a conflict with your non-Christian spouse, how do you begin reconciliation? Uh, but if there is scripture, you immediately know, I have no choice but to forgive, and he has no choice but to forgive me as well. Because God forgave us both. Third point before the shame. Verse 25, let's read verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And we know after they ate of the forbidden fruit, when God came, they were ashamed. They were ashamed. Adam and Eve felt no shame even though they were naked. However, after their disobedience, they felt shame. Sin brings shame before the Holy One, but forgiveness in Christ removes it. Now we're looking thousands of years forward. Intimacy between spouses in the long term is rare among humans. Intimacy in the long term. However, faith in Christ allows such miracle because we look beyond the physical. With Christ as king of the relationship, both may learn to communicate with appreciation and understanding. Intimacy can be built. The unity can be pursued in Christ. All who follow Christ shall be tested and tempted. However, the most important reason to continue is the commitment to God himself. If we do all for the glory of God, especially our marriage, then there is hope to fulfill unity until the end. Basically, what we're saying, sin brought them shame, and sin must bring a shame before the Father. If you're not ashamed, then the scary thing of Romans 1 says, you have been given up. The, the generations have been given up by God and feel no shame of their sin. But once you feel that shame and feel conviction of sin, that is the beginning. Therefore, you come to him in repentance and faith, and you receive forgiveness and the salvation of your soul. Application, let's go back. Assignment plus companion. So, man should focus on God's assignment to take care of the earth. That's in the Old Testament. We take care of the earth. In the New Testament, the assignment is to grow in Christ, proclaim the gospel, and make disciples while fulfilling God's commands, the man must value the companion that God gave him. Value the companionship. Let us remember that we serve God's purpose as stated in Scripture. Consequently, companionship in marriage is not for the sake of companionship alone. Take note. 
You don't get married for the sake of just being together. There must be the assignment. The assignment must not be neglected. God gave the assignment, and it was not good for man to do the assignment alone. God gave him a wife, and they have to pursue this unity, but not just for the sake of unity, but for, for pursue the assignment. Without the assignment, God's assignment, then what? It is self-seeking. Self-seeking. It's just happiness. And that's a terrible way of, of terrible philosophy in life, the pursuit of happiness. You think life is about happiness? Oh, I, I, I'm not against happiness. I'm cool with happiness, by the way. I'm pretty cool with it. I like happiness, but that is not the main pursuit. You'll find yourself so shallow. I find the pursuit more of the meaning in life because of what God gives us and because of what God wants us to do. I find meaning. Meaning is better than happiness. It's something deeper than happiness. There is a quiet satisfaction in meaning. But some believers, all about happiness. Ay masaya, ay masaya. It's all about masaya. I'd rather hear, let's do this because we can make an impact. Let's do this because the gospel can be proclaimed. Let's do this. Let's arrange this. It is not good for man to be alone, thus God gave him a wife. Men, brothers who are married, by God's grace, let us enjoy the company of our wives. Now, 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 before you get angry at me, let me share to you that you must pursue. You must try. Because sometimes marriages through the years have slowly drifted, slowly, Year after year, there's a drift. Year after year, my own business, your own business. You just have to go back to simply talking and listening. But then, Brother Ed, I know, I know what you're seeing. We can't last 15 minutes without an argument. Some marriages are like that. I know that is danger zone, that is red zone. Both must at the same time learn to listen before they speak. Both must learn to listen while not getting offended. You learn to smile and say, thank you. Let me list that down. Then you say, I'll try, but I need you to be patient. And vice versa. But to say no, I don't want to listen to you. Or when you speak, you speak as if the other person is your subordinate. No, the other person is not your slave, and that person is not meant to be controlled by you. They're not to be controlled. They're not to be put in a box, and your whole idealism imparted to them it is to grow together. You know what scripture says, but how can we grow together in the person we are meant to be? It's not, accept me for who I am. Uh, yes, that's why you got married, right? But who you are must continuously improve. Improve. This is me, whether you like me or not then we don't like you. No, don't do that in marriage. Friends can do that. Then I don't like you. Because friends must be willing to improve themselves for the sake of the friendship. That's the way to think. But then this is higher than that. Which is my next point. Well, okay. It's not good for a man to be alone. Men, let us try to enjoy our wives. On the other hand, wives, let me have something to say with you. Husbands, try to enjoy the company of your wives. But wives, it's not good for a man to be alone, but do not push him to the point where he wants to be alone. Is that in scripture? Yeah, 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 yeah. it's in Proverbs. 
It is better for a man to live in the desert than to live with a quarrelsome wife, a wife who just likes to fight, to argue. It's better to live where? In the desert. In the desert. <laughs> Try to go to look for the desert. You'll see a company of men, they're fellowshipping with one another. <laughs> oh, we don't have deserts right now, we have bars. They're trying to forget their sorrows. They're trying that when they get home, they just fall asleep despite, despite the loudspeaker at home. They'd rather sleep. And somebody keeps talking and they can sleep very well. Knowing that the alcohol has saved them that night. Wrong on both sides. No unjustified. Man, do not justify alcohol. No, don't do that. Adjustments are for both sides. Husband and wife should grow up. That's my next point. We have to be continuously growing up. There's no ending. I have to be continuously growing up. You know why? Because both of us are going through life changes together. It's different at a certain age. There are different needs when your children are small or when you have no children. And then another stage. And then when you age, there are different stages. Mentally and emotionally and physically, changes happen. That's why we continue to grow and understand one another and respect that there are changes happening. Men should develop in many areas of life until they are responsible enough to leave the safety net of their parents. I'm going back to singles. Men? Please, singles, grow up to be responsible to the point that you're ready to leave. And I'll be very proud when my sons are ready to leave because somehow they are more responsible in the many areas of life. Then he can take on the responsibility to be the leader and the, of his own home, protector. There would be unity of purpose he can lead that unity of purpose. He can lead a plan to do, to pursue together. And he can take the lead of mutual emotional growth. But if you're still self-centered, both are self-centered getting into the marriage, expect disaster. <laughs> right? Have you heard of stories of disaster? It could be your own story, right? Then you realize later, oh, marriage is more than just kilig, more than just emotional, more than just romance. And you realize, oh, nobody told me. Actually, somebody tried. You didn't listen. Somebody tried. You listened more to the, to the teasing, to the kilig around you. I heard somebody says, you know, this is a friend of mine. He's the reason I met my wife. And he took a pause and he said, I really want to kill him, you know. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> uh, now, the concept of leaving may be interpreted in many ways. It's not leaving and disconnecting. We're not saying disconnecting. We're not saying disconnecting. It's just being responsible now that you can take it on your own. It can be in varying degrees, and that I'm not here to argue about that, but one basic thing, it's good not to live with your parents unless they're too old that you have to take care of them. It's just, he can't fulfill the unity. Because part of doing the unity are the things that you still have to grow into, the, the beauty of growing up together. And that is usually disrupted by a father and mother who knows a lot about life and trying to shortcut you. And uh, uh, yeah, well, let's admit it, parents. We love our children so much to a point sometime we still want to control. 
I'd rather we influence in a positive way rather than control. Now, uh, for the singles, I hope I didn't scare you enough. It's good to get married, okay? I think married people live longer. I think there's data to support that. Yeah, you know, I think the, the adjustment keeps us alive. Don't you get it? Uh, you keep wondering, why? What's wrong with me? It keeps us alive. And it's so boring if you're not talking to anybody at home. So I'm not discouraging you from marriage. I'm discouraging you from a bad marriage, one that does not pursue unity. I'm just giving you the biblical conditions of what it is. Is it possible you have to have faith? If you don't have faith, then it's not. It is always possible, but we have to believe in the Holy Scriptures. Now, for married couples, let us pause, evaluate ourselves. Sometimes we like evaluating our partner more than ourselves. Evaluate yourself more. Renew, discuss, and rediscover. Rediscover. But take note, without a higher purpose, couples just go in circles. No higher purpose. The unity under God must grow through time. It should not dissipate. The unity of the couples in time, before God should grow, not backslide. It should keep growing. And lastly, remove the shame, build intimacy. All humans are sinners. Thus, each person has something to be ashamed of before God. All, every one of us. However, in Christ, there is forgiveness through repentance. What is repentance? A turning away from sin. A conviction of sin. Not only feeling sorry, but saying, from now on, Lord, I will follow you and not follow these sins. These sins are no longer natural and ordinary for me because I've made a decision only done by God's grace, not us, to follow you. And after removing the shame of sin, the two may grow in intimacy and unity. That's why the first thing we have to pray for is the coming to Christ in repentance of our spouse. Now, once that happens, listening, sharing, enjoying each other are a few essential elements. Treating the relationship as the most sacred of all human relationships is necessary. None is more important than God. The relationship is sacred, but there's someone more important than your spouse and your children. It is God himself. And once that is established, keep growing in intimacy because of him. You are now being patient with your spouse because of him. You want to be kind to your spouse because of God. You want to not keep a record of wrong because of God. You want to build, contribute to the other life, which is your life, because that is you. Because of God. And you recognize even the imperfection, and you know that that is you as well. Take note, take note. Instead of blaming and putting that, you see the imperfection on the other side. You have to understand that is you as well. So you have to work on it together as a team. I shared to you a poem called Bone of My Bone. Bone of My Bone. Not good for man to be alone. It's not right to be on his own. Thus God gave woman to the man a critical part of his plan. A new creation from man's side, so well fashioned to be his bride. It was an, ex an experience so fresh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The inclination to embrace, to bring her back thus to her place, because she was part of him within but became a living being. The man pursues the unity, marriage in all its sanctity. He shall leave father and mother with his wife to be together. In Christ, to live with no shame, by his grace, hearts and tongues to tame. With faith, the good God gives new hearts and intimacy he imparts. 
Hear the scriptures, married couples. Even though with many troubles, the higher purpose fulfill ye. Completely trust in God's decree. Let us all rise. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that your word will always be fresh in our minds and hearts. And may the power of your word permeate our being and your Holy Spirit continuously guiding. Lord, we are imperfect, but you are perfect. And with your guidance, we can make it work by your grace alone. We pray for married couples, all who are struggling. That is the reality. We pray for blessings of understanding. Couples that found a way to work it out, yet we consider ourselves so imperfect. Yet, we thank you for the path that you have both shown us. And couples that are mature, we pray, make them to be a good example to many, to be inspired, yet remaining humble because Everybody's a sinner. There's no holy pride within us. The only pride we have is what Jesus did on the cross by saving us from the wrath of God, from the justice of God. And justice was served and mercy was served at the same time. For the singles, I pray for wisdom. Now their strength will be greater than their emotions that they will be wise in every way. To you be the glory, now and always, in Jesus' name. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. And God's people say, God bless you. Good morning.